Hello and welcome back to another episode of Weird Thing About That, where me and my fellow players are given a subject matter and have to find the weirdest, coolest or funniest story on that subject. Players' stories will be scored by a head judge and the winner will be revealed at the end of the episode. I'm Chris and joining me today, sporting a black eye from Icing Too Many Black Bears, Chucky. And sporting his brand new white belt, Chow. Konnichiwa, bitches. And of course, our ever-fantastic judge, Joe. Hello. Joe, if we can please have today's topic and how it will be scored, please. Uh, today's topic is luck, and the winner will receive the Michael Carroll gold boxing glove necklace of champions. <laughs> if you don't remember Michael Carroll, go and look him up. The name rings a bell. What a dickhead. <laughs> and who's going first? Uh, you can. Okay. You might not expect a story about luck to feature the lucky person in question dying from a heart attack. But in fact, it was at this point in Australian Bill Morgan's life where it started to get a lot more lucky. In 1998, he was in a coma for 15 days and then dead for a full 14 minutes. However, skilled doctors managed to revive him in what was dubbed as a medical miracle. After being brought back to life, he went back to living in his trailer park in outer Melbourne and got on with his life. That is until about a year later, when he went out and bought a lottery scratch card and promptly won a brand new Toyota worth about 30,000 Australian dollars. Being brought back from the dead and then winning a new car exhibited a type of good luck caught the attention of the local news stations. One such news station came to see, came to see Bill to do a piece about his life and his good luck. The reporter suddenly had an idea. Why not recreate the moment he won his lottery ticket for the camera? Something wholesome to show on the TV. I assume there wasn't much better on TV in the Australia in the 90s other than reruns of Skippy, Neighbours and Crocodile Dundee. So they must have been desperate for something. With the cameras rolling, Bill went in and bought the same type of ticket and then stood outside and scratched off the foil. Stood in shock for a moment before turning to the camera in disbelief and saying, I've just won $250,000. I'm not joking. I think I'll have another heart attack. In recreating his initial ticket win, Bill Morgan went on to win the top jackpot of the lottery ticket. The video footage of his win and the following call to his fiance telling her that they could finally buy a house and move off the trailer park recently surfaced online and went viral. In interviews after his second win, Bill has spoken about his life and luck. The money allowed him to set up a comfortable life for himself and wife Lisa in Melbourne's southeast. But things could have easily been very different. They say you're clinically dead for seven minutes, so I was clinically dead twice, Bill said. I went into a coma uh, and the hospital said they were turning off the machine because even if I came back to life, I was going to be brain dead and a vegetable for all my life. But luckily, there was a specialist visiting that day from a different hospital who said, we'll make him, but we want to use him as a guinea pig, essentially to try different things. And if one of them works, then great. And it obviously did. Bill finished up by saying, I've had a bonus 22 years and that's the way you have to live your life. Every day I get up and put on my shoes and even if I'm not real well, I have a shuffle down the road and smell the roses. Look at the sun and think about how lucky I am. Gentlemen, your rebuttals. I've seen the video of this. Mm. I remember seeing it and going, because he's like, is this a wind up? Yeah. He's like (laughs) outraged that they've tricked him into winning more money. (laughs) (laughs) But then the producer's like, no, you're joking with us. Like, no, you haven't won. He's like, no, I have. No, no, no. Yeah, it's the one where it it looks like it's set in the corner of a bookies, though, isn't it? Because it's just like this really shit backdrop. You're like, Australia is a gorgeous country, and they just sign like the dingiest fucking corner of the uh, studio to film it. Um, Well, I assume it's not far from his Melbourne trailer park, so I don't think it's going to be in the most affluent area. Um, But yeah, um, it it just looks like a very basic corner shop uh, 
doesn't matter. He won a car. Yeah. He won. Oh yeah, all yeah, yeah. The, All the lovely dollar he does. Yeah, yeah. mate. I love that as well. Just like you know, just gotta get up, put your shoes on, and just have a little shuffle down the road. You know, with the the money that you won from the lottery. It's like yeah, it's, it's dead easy to say shit like that when you've won the lottery. Yeah, when you've got money, it's very easy to go. Just take the time to smell the roses, mate. Not get out there and hustle to make sure you don't get evicted. Yeah. Just in, in fairness, it doesn't work because uh, apparently he's got like a really bad heart and he's riddled with arthritis. So I guess not everything's that lucky in his life, but. Uh, he could fill envelopes. Yeah. <laughs> he could fill envelopes. <laughs> with yeah, what? <laughs> you know. Uh, no, with like junk mail. He could do that. <laughs> no, then he's just there suckling on the teat of the Amer- of the Australian <laughs> benefit system, lottery <laughs> system. Yeah. They need to subject him to some sort of... Tra- I don't... No, I, I, it's only one of those things. And also the fact that he went, if you die for seven minutes, you're dead. I'm double dead. Like, for, all right. <laughs> God. Typical Australian bragging about how much deader they are than you. <laughs> Oh, I'll 40 I guess, yeah. Dead, though. That's like pretty, pretty impressive, yeah. isn't it? I mean, to live that long in Australia is probably lucky <laughs> yeah. uh, on its yeah. own without probably bitten by a land shark or whatever the newest thing they've got going. So. Punched <laughs> by that sexy kangaroo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Melanoma. I saw, I saw a video recently saying this. I saw a video. It was just like a kangaroo in the middle of a lake. It was just its head sticking out. I was like, oh. Uh, well, like like apocalypse and, now. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh, that's that's weird. He's just having a bath. And then the brother never ate a sight saying, if you ever see a kangaroo doing this, do not approach it. They're very skilled at dragging you into the water and drowning you. Drowning your ass. Yeah, I've heard this. Yeah. <laughs> Why? It's it like taking a leak and it doesn't like <laughs> no, people watching. No, giant jumping rabbits of death. Why? Not drown. <laughs> Why is it why is it there? Does it, does it need help? And it's just watching going, yeah, here he's coming. Why did it sound good? We eat, eat human meat tonight, boys. <laughs> Australia. God's mm. favourite mistake. <laughs> let's move on. Uh let's do Chucky. Alright. Luck can be the difference between thinking about what could have been and, well, what could have been. Some lucky people think you make your own luck, and the rest of us fucking hate those wankers with their Mercedeses that they won off Facebook car lotteries. Interestingly though, when you're given a seemingly understandable situation where nothing but luck can help guarantee success, you might be surprised to find out that there are things that you can do to stack the luck in your favour. This is the case with the Monty Hall problem, named as such after the Canadian presenter of the Let's Make a Deal American Game Show, which would ultimately see a contestant being given three doors to choose from, one of which leading to a grand prize and the other two to certain misery. In this situation, you'd be right in thinking that there was a 1 in 3 probability of securing the grand prize, but there's an extra dynamic. You see, our boy Monty Hall isn't about making things unfair, so once you choose a door, Monty would open one of the remaining two doors that did not contain the prize so desired. If he was, Monty would give you a final chance to swap which door you choose. The big question is, would it be better to switch? Intuitively, you'd think not. In fact, you may even think that your chances of being correct just rose from 33% to 50%, meaning that switching would at best yield the same level of chance that you'd win. Turns out, however, that this isn't actually correct. Sure, if you approach the situation fresh, you'd have such odds, but you're not approaching it fresh. In fact, you've experienced an event that can help you change your luck. When Monty opened one of the doors to Loserville, he didn't change your initial chances of being correct at all. It was 33.3%, but the chance that the prize was behind one of the other two doors was 66.6%. Opening one of those remaining doors didn't change those chances either. This means that it would always be beneficial to swap your selected door as you'd be trading in a 
one in three chance and for a two in three chance. In 1990, when someone posed this problem to Marilyn Voss Savant's Ask Marilyn column in Parade magazine, she came to the same conclusion that the contestant would have a two in three chance of winning if they switched. The readers of the column were incensed. Approximately 10,000 readers wrote in to tell Marilyn she was wrong. 1990, that wasn't going to Twitter and squirting 280 characters at their handle. That was going to some kind of postal office, buying an envelope, a stamp, likely writing out your letter by hand, and then popping it into a postbox of some description. A thousand of these people who put pen to paper claim to have PhDs in mathematics, with one such person being Paul Erdish, who is considered to be one of the most prolific mathematicians in history. Despite it being quite easy to run through the probabilities with a little truth table, Erdish remained unconvinced until computer simulations demonstrated Savant's predicted results. This kind of situation is known as a veridical paradox, where a choice between two options appears to have a 50-50 split of being correct, but actually is heavily biased towards a single option that would otherwise not be obvious and would seem counterintuitive. I guess what I'm saying is, if you find yourself talking to a charismatic Canadian game show host and he offers you a choice of three doors, maybe just take some time to reflect on whether or not you've got a chance to fabricate some of your own luck before making your choice. Gentlemen, your rebuttals. They don't actually have to write in and take it to the post office. Just give it to that Bill Morgan guy and stuff it in an envelope for him. Yeah. <laughs> and he's always hanging out at the post office, isn't he? <laughs> Putting his bets on. I've got, got that house. No, like, else to do. Mate, yeah, I've, got, I've just won 250 grand, so I'll, uh, the stamp's on me. <laughs> so uh, I've, I have heard this before, actually. I've, I read it in, I think it was uh, in the book, uh, Curious Case of the Dog Nighttime or something. The, it's written from the point of view of an autistic boy, and yes. he... Um, mm-hmm. And he outlines the whole the, the whole thing. It, it's sort of in simple so in simple terms. So you you stood there, you're facing three doors, and you, they say, "What what door are you picking?" A bit like deal or no deal. And you say, "Okay, I'll take the middle one." And he'll okay, and he'll say, "Okay." And then he will then open either the left or the right at the one that he knows isn't the winning um, door. Yeah. So he's yeah. now opened that one, and now you're left with sticking with your original choice of the middle or the side door that isn't open and. Is this right? Yeah. So then you say yes. um, you can either stick with the door you've got or you can swap your answer. And apparently swapping your answer yields a better probability of get- it's still I don't get it, but right. The way the, the way I yeah, I the I'm way teaching I teach father the maths. Yeah. <laughs> the way I understand it, right? And this this is this is fun. This is just turning into a fucking A-level maths lesson. Right. The three doors thing is confusing because if you eliminate one, then you've only got one yes and one no, which is the 50-50 problem. Expand it out to 99 doors, right? It's not to catch fucking no- castle. <laughs> <laughs> Expand it out to more than three doors, right? Imagine you've got a hundred doors, okay? And you say you can pick one of a hundred doors at random and you go, right, okay. I uh, and then one. they open the 98 that don't have the prize and you said you want to stick the original or swap. You probably would swap. Yeah, you say exactly. it like that. It does make a lot of sense. That's, That's how it, yeah. So you extrapolate it out. When it's only three, your brain is hardwired to think, well, you've only got two options left. But when you extrapolate it out, you're like, no, mm. there is a better chance with you swapping. That's how, that's how my, because I read the Monty Hall problem. Over, well, not over and over again, but I, I remember seeing it three years ago. I'm like, I teach maths. Why won't my brain fucking get this? And I read different <laughs> explanations of it until the one made sense. And the one that made yeah. sense was fuck for three doors, have a hundred doors, and then it makes sense that way. Well, in 1975, um, somebody actually like proved this out um, with, and, and like like I said, if you do like a little truth table of like um, contestant chooses um, door A and the prize is behind door B and Monty Hall opens door C, then sw- swapping A for B would yield a win, not swap 
swapping wouldn't then again if you choose um uh, again if the price is behind door c but monty open door b then still swapping for c would be better so it, it works out um uh, that it would be better to swap but i, I think what, what's really interesting is this um uh, marilyn savant she's uh i think she's got the highest iq that was ever recorded and, <laughs> and she's, and... she's still got mansplained by like ten thousand letters <laughs> <laughs> actually i've got a phd in mathematics the so largest not right. uh, well actually ever yeah <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah so so was that and like um the, the paul Erdishka. like i said he, he he only like changed his point of view on it until like come computers run simulations on it which sounds very star trek like you know we'll go to the hollow deck and let's do this sort of thing get me three doors but really it's just like you can literally write it down on paper and yeah, it's, it's really intuitive when you do it that way it's a but series I, of I, and or gates isn't it yeah yeah it is basically yeah i do like the fact that she was called savant as well that's quite funny mm-hmm. isn't it mm-hmm. that's that's a nice little bit of, of irony it's probably savant um i haven't <laughs> actually heard it said but i know <laughs> but i'd go with savant rather than savant because savant's a bit near seville you know it's, yeah. Getting names wrong is, is my territory. <laughs> it just it's just one of those things. It feels counterintuitive to the, the, the human condition. To well, no, I'm going to stick with it then because obviously you know something that I don't. Yeah, yeah. Do well, I have to teach you prob- kindergarten statistics? Yeah, it's yeah. Well, statistics and probabilities are. That's why there is a. That's why casinos and this entire industry is built on human initiative versus mathematical probability. You know, because if people truly understood statistics, casinos wouldn't exist. Games of chance wouldn't exist because you're going to go. You're just going to statistically. You're going to fucking the road, I've got though. a perfect system though. <laughs> <laughs> to always Take win. A gun. Uh, splat the rat. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know any other casino. I don't know that's a casino. That's more of a church fate style game than a casino, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> At the is Hard that... Rock Casino, people queuing around the queue to play. People oh yeah, it's that Mitchell and Webb sketch, isn't it? Where like they're playing Guest Away to the Cake and stuff, and it's James Bond. Oh, I've not seen that one. <laughs> I mean, it's still better than the Wall with Danny Dyer, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it's it wasn't as good as the other wall though. The one where they were like bring on the wall. Oh, and like a wall with the late, with a shape. The late great like, Dale Winton. Was that who it was? It was originally like Dale Winton, on a, and then it was replaced like with wall, uh, that guy that's got a face like an elbow, uh, the dancing lad. <laughs> um, what's he called? Anton Dubeck. Anton yeah. Elbows. Yeah, not to be Antoine de Cohn, who used to do Euro Trash. Antoine de Beck, the dancing lad, <laughs> uh, that looks like the, the love child of Alexander Armstrong and Rob Brydon. Yeah. Euro oh, Trash. That, that is incredibly <laughs> accurate. Yeah, I've got good at them. Uh, yeah, um, I've got a fun thing of that uh, on the VR where you have to make the shapes of the thing. As it's basically the wall, but it doesn't push you into water, and you don't have to wear a like embarrassing silver bodysuit. <laughs> Which is not you can if you want. I'm not going to stop you. <laughs> but it probably just doesn't help as much as you'd think it would. I know, but you got to get into the role, aren't you? You got to like you know be you the shape you exactly. wish to achieve. Gandhi said. I'd, I'd love to see videos of people doing that because obviously you can't see the wall. You just stood watching a guy just throw shapes. <laughs> oh, have you ever seen the, the one where they put it on Ronnie O'Sullivan and he goes down, he bends down in VR to take a shot and just falls forward because he goes to rest his hand so on a table that's not there. So used to rest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, it's genuinely one of those things. But you just see like there's that mild moment of panic sets in and then he just stopples. <laughs> yeah. Take an extra step at the top of your stairs. What, what uh, I don't understand is that when you see people doing the VR stuff like there's that game isn't it I don't even know what it's called but you're sort of walking <clears> along a ledge on like the top of a skyscraper yes and then the idea is you jump at the end I'm like you see so many videos of people jumping 
listening to TVs and like not even like crappy old CRTs that you need to get rid of, but like I saw some guy jump into a 72 inch TV and it's like that can't be staged. So it, it rich, literally means that somebody's going, Oh, yeah, this is real. I'm gonna jump. It's, it's, <laughs> I mean, mine's only a, a, a quest two and it's, it, it, it's, it's realistic enough that you, your body forgets. Like, because I've done the, the walking on the edge thing, and you look down and you fucking out, and you do get fear. Well, yeah, your brain yeah, yeah. does sort of accept play, that as the yeah. reality it's kind of currently in. Yeah, isn't you, it? your brain yeah. adapts really quickly. And things like, I've just played, I've played like, I've had a go in an Oculus Rift a couple of times. And just the things like, um, when you're playing a shooting game, if something's flying towards you, you duck yes. out of the way because you're not going to turn. It, it, it is, it's your survival instinct. You see someone coming towards you, your brain isn't going to go, actually, this is a subjective reality, and you don't need to do that. You the amount of times I've punched the core part of your brain, yeah. The core part of your brain kicks in and goes, Mike, the shit flying towards you, buddy, duck. And yeah. you do. So that's what it is. It's just, it's just, it's your, it's your, it's your whatever it's called, your, the back, brain. the back part of your brain. Yeah, yeah, your brain. No, but the, the lizard part overriding the conscious part, whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah, your brain does adapt in funny ways. So I, over 10 years ago now, I think I was in, I was snowboarding and I had these um, goggles that are sort of red tinted. And after wearing them for about two or three hours, I realized everything looks normal. Nothing looks red. And I took them off and everything, all the white snow looked blue. And my eyesight was all blue for about like five, ten minutes while it adjusted back to... Five, ten years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he got arrested for going through what he thought were blue lights all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, yeah, because isn't that also a thing with? And this is getting way off topic, but like the <laughs> like your brain will adapt. Like if you lose an eye, it will like try and fill in the gaps left by not having the eye there and stuff. It's your brain's yeah. fucking weird, mate. There's nothing to say that the world isn't all upside down because doesn't our brain invert everything so it's the right way around? Because yeah, that yeah, makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And I can't live enough, like yeah. that. I need more weed in my life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If this was a, a weed conversation, you could go on about how <laughs> we're all just constructs in a reality, man. Speaking yeah, of which, I watched the reality. new Matrix the other day. What a big pile of shit that was. Shite. Yeah, what a shocker. <laughs> Oh, he doesn't even do any karate in it. He just makes force fields all the time. Whoa, 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 whoa. Well, actually, no, yeah. Spoiler That's not a spoiler. If he, Shut up. If he doesn't do karate, then yeah, I don't need to see it. Yeah, he doesn't but, even but... go, I know kung fu. He's just like, oh, macrame. So that's shite. <laughs> <laughs> If he's not flicking his fingers at some guy's neck and the guy goes, then I don't want to see it. If he's not eating a big chicken off the floor, then I don't even know why we're here at all. <laughs> Moving on. Away from Moving on. that. Uh, ciao. <laughs> Mention the word luck, and the first thing that comes to most people's mind are a big win on the lottery, at the casino, or some other form of gambling. And there's some merit to that, as you're beating the odds in a game of chance. But for me, true luck is where you're staring down the barrels of certain death, but somehow live till the time. In 1971, flight, flight away from Lima to Pucala in Peru was struck by lightning. One of the deadliest lightning strikes in aviation history led to the deaths of all but one of the 90 people on board. The sole survivor was 17-year-old Julianne Kopech. The lightning strike struck one of the plane's engines and caused significant structural damage. Julianne was sucked out of the depressurized cabin, still strapped to her chair, and fell 10,000 feet into the rainforest below. Julianne believes that the combination of the chair spinning and acting like a rotator blade and the thick canopy cushioning her fall shortly before landing is the reason why she survived. Julianne spent 11 days in the rainforest before being rescued. She was able to survive thanks to her experience of living in the rainforest with her parents who were biologists. I learned a lot about the life in the rainforest. It wasn't too dangerous. It's not the green hell that the world always thinks it is. With the knowledge, 
and a lot of resilience and toughness, she had the requisite skills to survive. Julianne unsurprisingly sustained some injuries in her fall and spent 20 hours after hitting the earth unconscious. After regaining consciousness, she managed to survive by drinking rainwater that made her way to the river, ignoring the crocodile infested waters and traveling by the river as she knew crocodiles seldom attack people and was the only reasonable way she would be able to travel the distances required in order to reach humanity. She managed to treat an open wound which had become infected with maggots with some gasoline that she found in an abandoned boat which, in my opinion, is some straight-up rocky shit. Julianne made a full recovery from her injuries and became a biologist like her mother. Whilst her tale of survival is absolutely incredible, the record for surviving the furthest fall from an aeroplane with no parachute belongs to Serbian flight attendant Vesna Volovic, who survived a fall of 10,160 metres, which is over six miles in 1972. Vesna spent days in a coma following the fall and was hospitalised for months after. Suspected reasoning for the plane failing was a bomb aboard the flight. Authorities suspect that the Croatian nationalists were to blame for the explosion. No arrests were ever made. Gentlemen, your rebuttals. I, I just want to say, I don't care if you think crocodiles <coughs> don't attack people by the river. You'd at least walk a good two or three metres away from it, wouldn't you? You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm not <laughs> saying she swam towards them, but yeah, it's like, I think crocodiles and sharks get a bad rap. All right, sharks are killing people, as- chal. Yeah, but statistically, you get, do you know what I mean? If people see, people are like, nope, and are like actively like, fuck sharks and fuck crocodile. But statistically, yeah, people but should be like, sharks, fuck rhinos. Rhinos sharks, kill more. Sharks attack people because they think they're seals, and then they, they, I think most of the time they soon realise they aren't and spit them back out again. But crocodiles yeah. will just attack and eat a human and on purpose. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not saying they're like the benevolent creature, but what I'm saying, yeah. But if you give them a wide berth and leave them the fuck alone, they're all right. You just, you just got to avoid them. But, but you've the also, river, you've just fallen to earth, survived somehow, and then you're thinking, well, I must have some luck left, so I'll just walk near all these like little handbags. But also, yeah, <laughs> getting gasoline out of a boat and then like pouring it on you. Like I wouldn't think this, to do that. I wouldn't think, this, oh, the the thing that's going to clear these maggots out, bit of gasoline. Ah, uh, mate, have you yeah. never watched um, what's he called, Bear Grylls? I've not seen the part where he poured gasoline on an open wound that do was you infected. Do you not maggots. drink his own? He's like, I've got an infected maggot wound. Better drink my own piss. I put this this hose pipe full of uh, rancid seagull piss up my anus. Yeah, he loves it. He prefers it into water. Yeah. <laughs> so didn't she like break a bone or something? Was it her arm or she? I can't. No, I don't think she broke any bones. She was like unconscious. Broke no, broke her arm, and she also had like a laceration in her arm. That was the main injury was, and the problem was is obviously she's in the uh, she's in the rainforest and spent like the first twenty hours after landing unconscious. She became infected, and I think after about four or five days, she came across an abandoned boat which had some gasoline in it. Mm. And yeah, she, yeah, and and she had this. I mean, she was a seventeen-year-old girl, um, which. No, not, not 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 to badmouth 17 year old girls but not many of them I would have suspected would have the presence of mind to go holy shit I have a huge gaping open wound crawling with maggots in order to not lose my ha- arm I need to pour petrol all over it but why I mean, petrol like I well, don't see, understand what the benefit is there did she set it on fire as it, well no, no, no. It's just it just acts as a astringent. Well, not a, is it an astringent? It's just it's just got antibacterial properties, so it killed all the bacteria and killed the maggots. I did not know of that. At maggots. All. What maggots. what year was this? Nineteen. It was the early seventies. Yeah. See, this is what seventies teenagers were made of. Not these modern day with your TikToks and your. Oh, all right, granddad. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my day, everyone was pouring petrol on each other. Yeah, it was. Yeah. No, it's, it was like a fucking Eddie Kingston fight. Yeah. <laughs> 
I just, I just imagine this this young lady coming towards this boat going, oh, finally, I'm saved. And it's then going to the boat. boat. Well, to a boat that's got petrol in it and then take the petrol out to pour in her arm. Now, if Doesn't only petrol... To travel. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't petrol go off after a time? Uh, I, think it do- yeah. I think it does, but... It still has antiseptic purposes long I mean, after it's useful. I, 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 <laughs> I, I, it, it's 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 those things of human resilience where, like, yeah. you know, the, the the football team in the Himalayas and shit, where I would have just gone, nah, fuck it. Two yeah. days in, I'd have like taught myself. I ain't got the fucking patience <laughs> for this. I would have yeah, exactly. Roly poly down the hill. Yeah, that's almost. You'd have been all right, Chucky, um... because everyone had just been like taking pictures of the Bigfoot that suddenly appeared in the area, <laughs> and then they'd have rescued you straight away. That Bigfoot's eating a toffee crisp. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the um, someone was saying that about petrol, and I can't remember who it was, but they're saying the one thing that irks them about zombie films is that years later they're all still driving around, but petrol, without it being like constantly refined, only has a shelf life about a year and yeah, then yeah. it's useless. But I found that out the hard way by filling a petrol lawnmower with two year old. Yeah, I thought, oh, I'll just get five litres and a bit of top it up. Doesn't work like that. All you'll do is flood your engine and waste a shitload of money on petrol and have to get your lawnmower service. So, ah, the joys of middle age. Um, <laughs> should get one of those push me pull you ones like the u-bank you know yeah. the thing that uh, just like yeah. squashes the grass flat and then or it better, pops back up again when you walk away that's what better you get divorced and then buy a house without a garden oh, that, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> just get that plastic grass uh, yeah. that, that, that people get i don't know why yeah, the, um sorry just uh going back to the, especially if you see a sort of slight of frame kids fall a lot softer and a lot more durable than adults. Don't know if this was a factor in it, but if you ever see a kid, like I've seen kids like trip over and and somersault down a hill, and mm-hmm. that be like that would take me out for weeks. That if that happens, oh, to me. and they'll get up yeah. and run off. I live in a nice yeah. Fine. I live in a Victorian yeah. terrace. I live in a Victorian terrace, and the stairs in my house are like near vertical. You have to like you have to like shrink up the stairs. And my seven-year-old has fallen down from the top floor to the bottom, bounced on every single stair, hit the bottom and just sort of gone, sort of shaking himself off and gone, well, that sucked. And then gone, right, I'm hungry. And just gone and opened the fridge and was like, I would have broken every fucking yeah. limb on my body if I'd have done that. So there's do, a, like, there's a, yeah, there's a couple just, of factors just involved. A different constitution. Well, there's a couple of factors involved. One is their uh, bones are a lot more uh, springy than ours. Ah, yeah. but also the, med- the, um... the medical term, yes. Yes. Springy <laughs> bones! <laughs> Remove pipe from mouth. Oh, the bones appear to be springier. <laughs> I don't know, Jenkins, <laughs> but I find the child is springier. Hmm. He died from springy bones. Lack of springers. <laughs> but the other factor is a square cube law. Like an adult yes. will hit the floor about literally about 10 times harder than a child will just because of the... Um, Forces. Like your your area, the force you hit the floor oh. is is like it's it goes up by the cube for every like exponential I think exponential growth. Yeah, it's why yeah. Philip Schofield why... show. It's why <laughs> getting hit by the cube. Yeah. The cube. It's the, is sorry. Why... it's the reasons why elephants can't jump. And that's like, it's like why el- like ants can, it's one of those things as a kid, ants can lift 50 times their own body weight. It's like, yeah, but they're fucking tiny. Scale them up to uh, human size and they'll be shit. Right. Yeah, that that film head. Spiders or whatever, the yeah. one with the jumping spiders. Like I remember <laughs> watching eight, uh, eight legged freaks. That's the one, yeah, yeah. And like yeah, actually, if <laughs> no, no, I think that size. It, I think you'll find it, it was work. called spiders. Spiders and an upside down about. <laughs> that is a perfectly valid description. They were right. Spanish spiders. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, is there a thing like back in the early days of the Earth, there were bigger versions of things because the air was more oxygen rich or something, and so there, there, like there were like dog-sized spiders, like normal dogs, not like chihuahuas. I, I don't think it was true about spiders. But well, you know, but other yeah, things they, like because yeah, yeah I, I think that their, their lung system. Were, yeah. Well, the, the skeletons yeah. of the skeletons of creatures that are like that are like 200, 300 million years ago, and like there are um, these like like pterodactyl-looking things that are the size of like aircraft, and you're like that thing just doesn't look biologically feasible now. So it mu- there must have been di- different out- atmospheric conditions or O2 saturations in order for that to be biologically feasible. Less gravity because the Earth had less mass until the asteroid hit. That's it. Yeah. 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 Ah, yeah. the springy Earth. Yes. <laughs> the springy Earth theory. Yeah. <laughs> Joe, if we can please have today's scores. Um, the winner of the Michael Carroll Golden Boxing Glove Necklace of Champions, uh, just for the fact that it's confused me greatly, and I still don't fully understand how it works, uh, it's going to be Chucky with his Monty Hall story of doors, prizes, and maths. <laughs> with an S. Woo! Well done, Chucky. You can follow us on Twitter at Weird Thing Pod. Come and say hello or send us an email, uh, weirdthingaboutthat at gmail.com if you want us to read out on the show. Thanks for listening, and we will see you next episode. Weird Thing About That. I was worried you were going to go for a weird 12 minute, Joe.